0: Welcome to season three of the podcast, a brave writer's life in brief.
1: I'm Julie Bogart, your host. I feel like you can't make it without faith, honesty, and humor. And I feel like they're a you know a trifecta. My mantra is live sincerely, be love, do love, do be dooby be do, and leave a beauty mark that I was here. Welcome to
0: episode 12 of season three. Today's episode features a close friend of mine, Jules Evans. Before I introduce you to her, just a reminder that each person on our podcast represents their own point of view. In this case, Jules shares about how her personal Christian faith has been a support to her during the biggest crisis of her life. Her viewpoint is hers, not meant to be taken as prescriptive for anyone else. Brave Writer, as an organization and as a community, is nonsectarian, and we maintain space for the intersection of a wide variety of religious and political viewpoints. Thank you for understanding and for supporting us in that mission. Today on the podcast, I'm introducing you to a good friend of mine. Jules Evans. Jules describes herself as occasionally radioactive with a chance of superpowers. Nine years ago, she received a breast cancer diagnosis, and today she celebrates every single day, even the day she heard the scary C word. Her utter zest for life makes a party out of everything she can get her hands on. Her husband, who she affectionately calls the hubcap, her redhead children— and her brand new grandson, nicknamed Taryn the Wonder Baby, are the three focal points of her life. Jules is a writer, a cancer activist, a fierce cheerleader of her friends and all their creative endeavors, a girl with a severe case of wanderlust, and a big sense of wonder, adventure, and road tripping. She is one who tilts at windmills. She's a travel writer, a photographer, a YouTube vlogger, a seeker, a girl on a mission to leave a beauty mark that she was there. Welcome to our podcast, Jules.
1: Thank you, Julie.
0: So glad to have you. So what people don't know is that we met at a homeschool convention. (laughs) TBT. (laughs) Yes, we were at this one very conservative Ohio homeschool convention in like 2001, And we're sitting at this big table after we've just heard the most conservative keynote speaker, who didn't believe in fiction for children, by the way. And as we're sitting at this table, each person was invited to order a drink. So the first one got a Diet Coke. The next one got an iced tea. And it went around the table of 15 people that way until it got to Jules. Do you remember what you ordered?
1: I ordered probably some red wine.
0: (laughs) You actually ordered a beer. A beer. (laughs) And I looked up and I thought, I could be friends with
1: her. (laughs) And that's what happened.
0: (laughs) That's exactly what happened. So for those who don't know, let me explain. Jules is this maverick on so many levels with a heart as big as the sky. And I want her to share a little bit first about her homeschooling life with her kids. So can you tell us
1: How did you get into this homeschooling gig? I had Amanda, my first redhead, in 1991. And back in those days, I didn't even know what homeschooling was. My husband had heard about it and uh, was interested in it. And I don't think it was like the day she was born, but it was pretty close after that when he suggested we should homeschool. So I had to figure out what homeschooling was. I was in a really small church in Greenville, Texas, and there was quite a few homeschoolers there. So I had a good first start with getting to know some really cool people doing it. And then one day, I think Amanda was probably three. We had just moved to Ohio, and I was reading her a Dr. Seuss book. And she got super frustrated and threw the book down and she said, I want to read it myself. (laughs) And I think that was our first homeschool lesson.
0: Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) Do you remember what you did?
1: Um, Yeah, I got Kono's curriculum and character-based character traits. Uh, All the studies were off of that. And I bought a book called Teach Your Child to Read in 100 Easy Lessons, which is one of my favorite books of all times. And I taught Amanda to read and realized this is kind of fun.
0: You know that's amazing. It must have been the early '90s thing because I did the same two things. I used Teach Your Child to Read in a Hundred Easy Lessons, but it wasn't easy <laughs> for me. <laughs> that and the Bob books. Oh, the Bob books were great. Yeah, and yeah. then I also did Kono's. Yeah, I, I feel like Kono's laid such a great foundation for how to think differently about education. Did you notice that?
1: Absolutely.
0: What did you like about that period of time in your kids' lives?
1: I loved. Well, I mean, I loved being able to. Create a st- all the studies around whatever we were into, whatever character trait. I mean, when we would study a- attention, for instance, we we would go learn about animal tracking, and we would go camping. And when we studied kings and queens and obedience, we would we had a renaissance. We went to the renaissance fest. We had a our own medieval feast, and it was just the fun way to do school, the fun way to get into it.
0: We did the medieval feast as well, and I think the thing my kids enjoyed the most was they got to eat mashed potatoes with their hands. That was like written into the curriculum, and oh, they just couldn't wait.
1: My kids loved carrying the big turkey legs around.
0: Oh, (laughs) yeah, totally. I totally get that. So how would you say your homeschool philosophy evolved over time?
1: Huh, that's a good question. Um, I I homeschooled for 16 years, uh, so I did Basically, my whole philosophy was getting to be with my kids every day of their life, having our homeschool around our dinner table. And I mean, I, it's discipling in the truest and funnest sense of the word, getting to like completely share yourself and everything you believe with your kids and watching it multiply, watching them grow up and become global citizens, watching them get to go to England for six weeks because your husband goes to England for a job for six weeks. Not everybody can pick up and go like that. But, yeah, we kind of wrapped our homeschool around our life and wrapped our life around our homeschool. One of the things that I loved
0: is we kept running into each other at the Shakespeare Company plays. Yeah. We would usher, you would usher, you would go, we would go. And you seem to have a really big uh, attachment to literature, to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, you called your house the Shire. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your family's relationship to literature?
1: Well, I mean, literature, writing, composition, the humanities—those are my interests. They're my strong suits. You know, algebra was not my strong suit. <laughs> I I uh, co opt and had friends teach my kids algebra, and I taught their kids literature and writing and newspaper and all the things that I'm a little bit better at. I mean, I'm a huge uh, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis fan, so that was one of the things we did in England, was we went and had, I had a beer in, I had a pint, a half a pint, (laughs) in the the Bird and Baby pub that they used to hang out in, in the Rabbit Room. Amazing. Eagle and Child, Bird and Baby.
0: I didn't even know that. That's amazing. That's awesome. Well, so let's talk a little bit about the major event that was a cataclysmic event in your homeschool. You're just going along. You're raising your kids. You think you have all the time in the world. And then what happened, Jules?
1: Well, my youngest had asked if we would be involved in a, in a homeschool co-op and that, that you were part of at the, yeah. at the Vineyard. And I've been friends with you and all of the women at the at that co op for a number of years, but I had uh, I just hadn't done the co op thing. My kids were young, and I I didn't really necessarily feel the need for co op. But like I said, when I got out of my out of my uh, skill level with math and the sciences, and I don't like do formaldehyde and dissections <laughs> and stuff like that. Me either. <laughs> but when I when I got you know when it got above my head, I. St- was very grateful for Mikey, my youngest, begging us to join the co-op, so I did. I prepared the whole year of schooling, and then one night in, Oct- in August, August 11th, 2008, um, Mikey and I were going to watch Perseus's uh, meteor showers together, and I, I woke up to go watch that, and I had found a lump um, on my breast, on my left breast and I tried to wish it away all night long. I tried to pray it away all night long. I kept feeling it to make sure it was there. Um, I was kind of beside myself. My husband was asleep. Mikey was out in the driveway waiting for me, and pretty soon I decided just to kind of go outside and watch the meteors with Mikey, and it was really hard to focus, on one end, but on the other end, it is my memory, the last memory of I ha- that I have of my life before cancer. Um, I had no idea I was going to wake up the, you know, the next morning and everything was going to start like a roller coaster changing. But um, that to me is like the most perfect moment of my life before cancer. I can imagine. Was this a lump that just
0: appeared out of nowhere?
1: Felt like it was out of nowhere. My husband and I, t m I didn't notice it um, <laughs> and it was pretty noticeable. It was about the size of a shooter marble, okay,
0: yeah, and uh, this is a non visual interview, but Jules is tiny. she's you know <laughs> five foot two and a tiny person, so yeah, it seems like it would have been noticeable
1: yeah no i had we had had a tennis party that night, and i I had uh, quite a bit of wine, so I woke up super dehydrated before I was to go out and watch meteor showers with Mikey and so i was hydrating myself and i got on my my computer to get on facebook and play a game called scramble that i used to play and hydrate 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 and that's when i kind of bumped up against my desk and i i felt and i heard a little thunk wow that's incredible
0: so then what happened tell us the journey from noticing the shooter marble what happened next
1: well, my husband. I woke him up the next, or he woke up the next morning. I didn't want to wake him. Uh, I just kind of laid there, praying out damn spot all night long, and it didn't didn't go out. And so when he woke up, I just said, "Hey, I found this lump." And he groaned and this really heavy duty groan, and it, it felt like to me that in looking back that like we both kind of knew where things were going to go, even though we didn't know because we just had never gone down that path. And uh, I was actually the first of my friend circuit to, to go down that path. So yeah, he got me a doctor's appointment the next day and things happened pretty, pretty quickly. Like uh, it went straight into, um, a lumpectomy because biopsies are the very best way of diagnosis. And I mean, because I had a mammogram, I had a uh, ultrasound, but all that led to the fact that I needed to do a lumpectomy to have it biopsied. And unfortunately, it was cancer, mm. and that was pretty hard phone call.
0: Yes, I'm sure it was. Uh, and I remember it coming like a wave through our group because it was such a, a revelation and upsetting. For all of us, and breast cancer affects one in eight women, as we know, and so there we are with one of our friends uh, in that situation. How did your kids react?
1: I mean, my kids were pretty shaken, and uh, I mean, I remember when the phone call came uh, they were we were huddled about in my in the i think it was Matt's bedroom at the time, waiting for the phone call, and the doctor didn't have good news; she just had the c word and it literally knocked my kids to the ground, and they just were like three sobbing heaps of puddles, and uh, I mean, I always remember that I just was like, there's not enough of me to be, you know, the laps and the uh, enough arms to to hold them all, but that's what I tried to do is just drag them all to me, and we just kind of sat there in a heap together. Did it feel like a death sentence when you got the news? I honestly was not very breast cancer aware. And, I mean, I had had a friend that died quite a few years earlier that I homeschooled with. We actually did Konos together. Mm. Her name was Sue. And um, we walked with her through her battle until she finished her fight And, um, went to her rest and, but she was young. She was under 40 when she was diagnosed and she died, I think around her 40th birthday or some close to that. And even though I had a friend with breast cancer, we were totally not breast cancer aware, like just thought it was a fluke. And so initial thought was maybe I was another fluke. Mm. And I didn't know if I was going to make it or not because I had just watched her die. And my kids, you know, that was the hardest thing for them is because they saw me, you know, saying goodbye to my friend at her funeral. And that kind of changed a lot in our lives. Definitely.
0: Well, when you get a diagnosis like that, and then it was followed by chemo, uh, Jules and I got to work together at our co-op. She taught a literature class and... I sat in the back just in case she had chemo brain, but to be honest, Jules is incredible with literature, so I was not that needed. But during that period of time, everything had to change. One of the things I know, because I read email back to Brave Writer all the time, is that parents are dealing with hard news, whether it's ovarian cancer, breast cancer, some other debilitating illness. Uh, I know someone who had her leg fused back together after a bad break and she'll be out of commission for weeks. What do you do when you're faced with that news and yet you still want to home educate your children? What adjustments did you make? How did you handle that?
1: Well, I mean, everything that wasn't homeschool had to go. I mean, wasn't I had two jobs, fight cancer, and that was doing, having a double mastectomy and then going through, I had 24 rounds of chemo. And um, so, I mean, that was two years, two pretty intense years that I was mainly focused on cancer and homeschool. And I kind of graduated from the both at the same time. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Did you feel like your kids responded well? I know that parents a lot of times with teens are dealing with the conflict and the, the push and pull of the parental child relationship. Does cancer affect that? Did your kids behave still in that sort of teenage, do it my own way? Or did they end up being supportive of you? How did that look?
1: I mean, well, one, we were lucky because I had an incredible support system of which you were part. And between my tennis friends and my homeschool friends, um, we were completely taken care of as far as meals and any rides I needed, any rides my kids needed. But my kids had uh, the other, um, support system of the vineyard. The, the youth group there was pretty amazing, putting their arms around my kids and helping me do a lot of things that I couldn't do. I mean, my main goal was to try to have a meaningful moment with them every day, with each of them. And then I would feel like I was a superhero mom. If I could just, if we could just each have one moment every day, that was special. And, My kids, um, I think because of the support around them, I mean, Amanda was 17, Matt was 15, Mikey was 13, and so they all had their ways of dealing with it, and they've even written about their ways in my book. like They wrote how they felt back then, and um, my boys, I wouldn't have given them that curriculum, but they're the most kind and gentle men because of... They, were, they took care of me, like my husband had to work to pay for all of my, my medical bills and to keep our house afloat. And he had to take over everything that I couldn't handle, and uh, which was almost everything. So my boys took care of me, literally, during the worst of chemo. And they carried me up and down the stairs. And I mean, that was a rough a rough school for them. You're listening
0: to the brave writer podcast i'm julie bogart i've written three books in a series called a gracious space there's one for fall winter and spring these books are daily readings like 50 essays you read one per day and they're meant to help you sustain your homeschool commitment in these books i've included a lot of wisdom gleaned from the community as well as my own personal experience as a home educator. Each day's reading includes a sustaining thought and a quote from a member of the community. We cover things related to parenting, education, and self-care routinely in these books. If you would like a print copy, go to amazon.com and look up A Gracious Space and my name, Julie Bogart, and they'll all come up. If you do purchase a book, I would invite you to leave me a review at Amazon. It's one of the ways that we get the word out to everybody else. Uh, if you'd like a digital Kindle version, then please go to bravewriter.com. You can go to our store at the top banner or go there directly, store.bravewriter.com and look in the Brave Writer Lifestyle Tools category and you will find gracious space. You can purchase any or all three We'd be more than happy to have you join us in reading those. I've done a whole series of YouTube videos for the fall edition. If you'd like to read along with me and hear me expand on the topics. Thanks. And now let's get back to the podcast. It's interesting to me that when I asked you about home education, you chose to talk about a meaningful moment with your kids. So often we keep getting sidetracked by state requirements or curriculum expectations. And you saw as their curriculum, really, I think, the togetherness of your family and actually working together through this very challenging period of your life.
1: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just my battle against cancer because they had witnessed a very up close and too personal battle with my friend Sue and watched her die, and so I was pretty alternative, and and I'm I'm still pretty alternative. But I had always said that I would not go the medical route, but it wasn't just my decision. I had I had to we we actually made all of the decisions uh, with the kids, and um, because. We're just very open that way, and they're my chief supporters.
0: Yeah, so they helped you decide to go the chemo route, even though you might not have if you had been on your own.
1: Yeah, they begged me to go the chemo route. To fight. Mm-hmm.
0: They wanted to keep you. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously I wanted to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you've written a book about your cancer experience. Want to talk a little about it, the title and all that cuz it's really wonderful. I've read it.
1: <laughs> I think you might have been the first person to review it too. So thank <laughs> Eagerly. you for that. <laughs>
0: yeah, you're welcome.
1: So it's called Shaken Not Stirred, a chemo cocktail, and it's a comedy about my tragedy of being diagnosed and going through breast cancer. And it's the cancer chapter in my story. It's a series of postcards from the other side of breast cancer and chemo. Been there, done that had to buy a new (laughs) T-shirt, some of the back copy. Yeah. The nice thing about
0: shaken, not stirred, I think, is that if you're going through this experience, it's like having a companion on the journey. There's somebody there who's going to actually talk about sitting in the seat while the chemo treatment is happening and what it feels like when you get home. And she even created a playlist. (laughs) So if you need music to help you, that's in there too. But uh, Jules is a writer's writer. She's not just a hack. This is somebody who's writing I've enjoyed and looked up to for a long time. She's one of those people who just, I don't know how to explain it exactly, but there are people who are journeyman writers, and then there are artists who are writers, and that's what Jules is. She's an artist who's a writer. Thank you. Uh, well, it's, it's 100% true. So one of the reasons that I've invited you here today is I'm hoping you can give some encouragement then to these families who are faced with this overwhelming diagnosis. Uh, there are few members of our larger homeschool community that I know personally right now, dealing with breast cancer, ovarian cancer, with a terrible diagnosis. You know, if you're stage three or four, that's the scariest place to be. What have you learned from all these years now, nine years of interacting with that diagnosis in other people and family life and homeschooling? What can you share, words of hope, support ideas?
1: Well, I mean, I think to me what feels like the underlying current of my story is that cancer is a bitch, but God is good. And humor is so important. I mean, it's, it's kind of a cliche thing to say that laughter heals, um, but I really, I really believe that it does. And I feel like being honest about your journey, I mean, mine gets raw in some places. I mean, I know at one point I talk about another C word, constipation, and that's kind of maybe TMI and maybe knowing that my my lump was under the Milky Way is TMI. But, but I feel like it's super important to um, share our stories with each other because our stories save each other. And I had read Right when I was diagnosed, I walked into Barnes & Noble and I saw this book called Cancer is a Bitch. And it was had a cartoon uh, chick on the cover and Gail Canope Baker. And I picked it up just because I wasn't really sure that I could f- find my way into somebody else's breast cancer story, but that cartoon and that humor kind of attracted me. So I picked it up and I'm really glad that I did um, because it really... It really helped me. It made me feel not alone. And I learned um, some of her MO for her own journey that I used on mine. And so hopefully, you know, my story will help somebody else. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. What would you say to people who are not of the same spiritual background as you? What, what comfort or advice do you have for them?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I mean, faith whatever your faith is in is is super important my faith i ha- i happen to you know jesus is my guru and so that's where my faith is and i feel like it's the core of me and and i feel like that's who that i want to be like and um whatever he looks like in my skin my aerodynamic skin and um i feel like Whatever faith you got, I feel like you can't make it without faith, honesty, and humor. And I feel like they're a, you know, a trifecta: faith,
0: honesty, and humor. So faith in yourself, or faith in faith love? in God,
1: faith in love, faith in yourself, faith in faith in your support system, um, faith in their, God is good. Cancer might be a bitch, but God is good. I don't know how it all works out. Um, that he's in control, that people get cancer, that he is good, but I really believe it. And mm. it steadies me and it, I feel like it makes me steady for people that I try to support because mm. it's a rocky road.
0: Yeah. What? Tell us about that. What's some of the rockiness?
1: Well, facing your mortality, I think one of the things that I've I've learned through some of the people I've met on my journey and specifically my friend Vanessa T. Meyer and her with her Live Sincerely project. She started this project while she was dying. And basically it is a a pledge that you make to to sum it up, to not wait till you find out you're dying to really, really live. And I think everybody's looking for some kind of like, what is our purpose? And Certainly when you get faced with your mortality, that's like screaming neon lights to you. Like, why are you here? I mean, we're all asking that anyway, but especially when you're facing it, when the rubber meets the road and you just might die.
0: How would you answer that question for you now then? I mean, I've watched you and since breast cancer, you've taken on some pretty cool projects. Do you want to talk about the SCAR project or your Route 66 or some of the things that you've
1: yeah I mean I really believe in uh I mean my mantra is live sincerely be love do love do be do be do <laughs> and leave a beauty mark that I was here so I don't do any of that perfectly, but I do try to live sincerely to honor my friend Vanessa but also for myself because uh, i I do want to be love in this world I mean this everything's a mess right now with everything and everywhere and people call me naive all the time for thinking that love is the answer, but I really, really do think that love's the answer and we got to be the change that we want to see. And, and I think that is, has everything to do with loving and kindness and being kind is like the biggest call right now. And in the end, I think that's how we leave a beauty mark that we were here. One of the, Besides my book and my, and my own art, I like to pay it forward because I think that's part of the beauty mark. And I, I had such good fortune with such a good support team. And I've gotten to be involved with the SCAR Project and the Grace Project and the Dragonfly Foundation, which is an organization in Cincinnati that works with kids with cancer. It's, it's just how I'm working out my yeah. own good fortune.
0: Yeah, tell us about the SCAR Project and the Grace Project because those are really cool and most people won't know what that is.
1: So uh, the SCAR Project is a breast cancer photo- photographic exhibit and it is an awareness campaign that young women get breast cancer. And so all of the subjects for that project are under 40 years old. And I've been working with photographer David Jay on the SCAR Project since 2010 when I went to his exhibit in New York City. And the Grace Project is a, another breast cancer project that I work with, also photographic, and it's a body image project. Uh, the, the photographer, Sharice Isis, is inspired by Hellenistic sculpture, and so she frames the women in the context of being Greek goddesses and helps them uh, embrace their body image after breast cancer. It's pretty, it's pretty intense and awesome, and transcendent because who doesn't deal with body image issues?
0: Yes, already, let alone when you've had mastectomies or double mastectomies, yeah. The photography in both of those exhibits was breathtaking, actually, yeah, and you've helped those show in other cities.
1: Yeah, um, I, I travel around with the Grace Project currently. We are photographing 800 women across the country because every day in the United States, 800 women get diagnosed, and um, so right now we're about 350 women in, and we've been Coast to coast and up and down. Uh, We haven't been everywhere. We're trying to get everywhere. But um, it's a really, really beautiful project that I'm super, super happy and humbled and honored to be able to to be a part of.
0: And then what was your Route 66 project? Because I did mention it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, one of my hardest things post-cancer and post-homeschool is trying to figure out how to spend my time and my passion in my life. So I'm involved with a, a lot of cancer activism and the what I, what I get from all of that is I lose a lot of friends and dealing with that grief has been one of the, amidst my own good fortune. It's been a really hard balancing act for me and I've not done a really good job about it uh, many times. So I was at a particularly low point. And I needed to do something different. And so I decided to take my friend Vanessa's advice of not waiting until I find out I'm dying again to really live. And one of the things that I just always wanted to do was a Route 66 road trip. And so I hit the road. And I'm currently working on a, a book about that. Uh, journey, kind of a life after cancer slash travel memoir, kind of a life take two in a way. And it's going to be called Why Did the Tortoise Cross the Road? And with it, I have a photo exhibit that I've been curating.
0: Yeah, and Jules is a runner like me, and she ran the Route 66 66- was it the half or the full that you ran?
1: I, well, I've done two things. While my journey, the Route 66 journey, was happening, I, uh, when I was planning it, I realized that the Kansas leg of Route 66 is exactly 13.1 miles. So I was like, duh, I have to do my own half marathon. So I made up a half marathon, and it was on July 4th of 2014. I got out of the car in Missouri and ran through Kansas to Oklahoma, which That's was amazing. so cool. <laughs> And, um, and then uh, I found out there was a real Route 66 marathon in Tulsa. So a couple years later, I went back and I did that marathon. It was my first legit marathon, but they also have an Ultra, which is only 0.3 miles extra, and you get another medal. You're kidding. So I got two medals and a jacket and a (laughs) T-shirt.
0: Okay. That's the whole reason any of us do marathons, by the way, is for that right there. That is amazing. (laughs) The bling. Yeah. And didn't you get to exhibit your photos?
1: I've had a photo show here in Cincinnati at the 86 Club uh, last September. And I got one of my photos, made it into a show in Brooklyn, American Road Trip Show, which was super Mm. cool, driving to Brooklyn and seeing my picture hanging on a wall in an art gallery. That's amazing. And uh, and then um, I entered uh, Art Design Consultants uh, Academy of Artists. Come, art Comes Alive, which is kind of like their Academy Awards for Artists. And uh, last year I got into that, and then I even actually got Photographer of the Year. Wow. Which was crazy.
0: That is, that is absolutely amazing. Talk about, you know— Life after cancer. That's just incredible. Okay, I want to pivot because there's one more thing I want to ask you about before I forget. It's back to the homeschool question. Years ago, you told me that you would take your kids out for coffee or lunch or something, maybe once or twice a year, and ask them to grade you on mothering.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, okay, so I took them out on their 16th birthdays to have them give me a report card about how... They felt like my parenting went down, and it was kind of a rite of passage for them to where I wasn't going to consider them a kid anymore, and I was going to respect their their grades, and also hopefully, like Amanda was my oldest, so when she t- took me out, I thought maybe it'll help me do better with the boys <laughs> if I really screwed up. So yeah, uh, I remember distinctly Amanda's answers because she was. We didn't really do sleepovers when they were little and that was one of the things that I got a kind of an A minus on. And then the other thing was since we homeschooled, she didn't like ride the bus with kids to school and get to eat lunch with kids at school and build that kind of a a community. So so after she said that I could I couldn't fix the sleepover thing, but I could f- fix the or address the lunchroom situation because for her senior year she wanted to go to Lakota the public school here and just kind of get her feet wet in public education and just going and being part of a mass and um, so the funny thing is she came back and took back the A- minus because she didn't go into the cafeteria one day <laughs> because it, it turned out it wasn't a thing that bothered her so I ended up getting an A
0: but that's cool. So that was a one-time event where you did that with yeah, them. Yeah, uh-huh. for
1: their birthdays, the night before their birthdays, I always had a special date with them, and I still do. We even do it uh, on Skype if we're not in the same city. But because um, Amanda's twenty-six, Matt is getting ready to turn uh, twenty-five, and Mikey's twenty-three at this point. Yeah, and. Um, but i have i had watched this movie called anna and it's a russian documentary and it's about this and it kind of like also follows the history of russia and by through the eyes of this little girl her dad would ask take her out and ask her the same set of questions every birthday and you can completely follow the history of russia so i decided i think amanda was 4 uh, and Mikey was just newborn, so when Amanda was four, we started doing these dates, and I, I would give them all of my attention, and we would go out, and I would treat them to a book at Borders at the time, and um, R.I.P. Borders, <laughs> am I right? Yes. But I'd buy them a book, we'd have a coffee, and then we'd go out to dinner, and I'd ask him these questions. and.
0: What were the questions?
1: So I asked them uh, on the night before your sixth birthday, last day of being five, what was the best thing about being five? What's the best thing going to be about being six? Ask them uh, what makes them happy at this time in their life? Mm-hmm. What makes them sad? What are they afraid of? What, is their, what are their dreams like? Just a little birthday ca- candle kind of dream, and, but also like big pie in the sky type of dream. And then, what do they want to be when they grow up? And then I would—we just always would go through like all of their favorites: favorite color, favorite number, favorite song, favorite friends, uh, favorite TV show, favorite game, favorite superhero.
0: Did you write these down?
1: Yeah, they're on scraps of paper, not in any organized way okay. in my house. Because um, I thats the one thing of my my biggest shortcoming. <laughs> Or but, one of the but biggest, the,
0: but asking those questions each year really does give you a history of their lives.
1: Yeah, and we would trace our hands on the um, the the placemats, and so I have also their hands growing up, and uh, that I would write all the answers on. So there's just all kinds of scraps of papers and menus and placemats that we that have this record on, in, in no particular order in my house. <laughs>
0: But that's just beautiful. I can totally picture parents taking that and starting right now. There's something about the way you describe those questions that are are so important. I think when we talk about connecting with our children, sometimes we don't know how. We, we hear it as an idea. And then a parent will prepare, like, this beautiful experience for their kids. And their kids shrug their shoulders. And then the parent has hurt feelings but connection is so much more. It's really about that person revealing themselves to you and being received for who they are. Uh,
1: well, our kids want to be seen and especially yes. seen by us. And so, you know, they know that my degree was journalism and I'm a writer, so if I sit in front of them with a my little reporter's notepad because they're important and I'm recording everything that they say because I don't want to forget it, like, there's... They would light up like you could feel the energy for days of them having that moment. And and I and I lived off the energy, too. I mean, it's my three favorite days of the year still.
0: That's absolutely beautiful. And it sounds so different than throwing them a party, you know, not to say that a party isn't wonderful because lots of kids love parties, but it's an interesting thought to take that day and to plan a special one on one time and then to really see them, who they are right now, not who they're going to be. We focus so much as mothers on who our kids might become someday. And what we're really missing in that moment is who they fully are right now. That's valuable just in and of itself. And that is perishing. That will go away. We will not have that version of that child forever.
1: Right. We. I used to always, when I would tuck them in, would always like act all sad. Like, oh, I'm going to miss five-year-old Matt. And... So but one time uh we had all of the, I think it was for one of Mikey's birthdays, and all of the kids we were in one hotel room. I can't remember where we were or what we were doing. It was probably a funeral, but um I was being all sad, tucking Mikey in the night before his birthday, and then all of a sudden Matthew, my middle child, he just started bawling and he was like, I'm going to miss five-year-old Mikey. (laughs) We all got caught up in it completely every year. (laughs) (laughs) That's adorable. (laughs) I remember
0: when Noah turned 10, he went to bed crying. I was all double digits. And he's like, mom, I won't fit in the McDonald's playland anymore. Crazy thing, true story. He's 30 now, and when I got the wheelchair for my broken ankle, within minutes, he was already popping wheelies and crashing into my cabinets, and I'm like, when does this end? (laughs) It it doesn't. It does not end. And that that is a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all this. Do you have a parting uh, thought that you would like to share about writing in particular, since this is the Brave Writer community?
1: Well, about writing... I mean, right on, but I think that that's one of the the best things I got to give my kids was my love for writing and communicating and uh, to learn to express themselves because words have a lot of power. I would encourage just to ask questions and let them write and not worry about format. Let them just learn to express themselves. That was always my... uh, the most important thing to me was to hear what they really had to say and not them trying to answer the the, the questions in a right way. I think my philosophy for writing was based on the creation story. Mm. And uh, so my kids were a huge experiment, but I think it it panned out well for for us because they're all writers and they're all creatives and they're all artists and they're all global loving human beings. My take on the creation story is, in the beginning, there was nothing, and then God spoke. He had words, and then things happened, and things were. And after he spoke, then he kind of parsed things apart and ordered them and divided them. And And so my whole goal as a homeschool mom, because writing was the chief thing that I wanted to teach them to do, because even all of the SAT class, uh, tests that's the thing that sets you apart mm. is the, the way you can express yourself. And um, so that's all I, I tried to do was just to let them express. And then as they grew in uh, grammar and handwriting um, and articulation and composition and all of the things that they read and all of the things that they experienced in life, I, I watched them begin to parse and, um, organize their thoughts. And yeah. yes, so I, I mean, just to let them write free.
0: Yes, that rings bells with me. <laughs> I agree completely. And I do think that it. you have to allow for freedom for a long time. I mean, forever, really, because even, I don't know about you, but in my book writing process, I have to start with taking off the shackles of my own expectations of how it will turn out I find myself coaxing myself back into freedom all the time. And sometimes I even tell myself to write it wrong. I'll say, you know what? Say all the things you didn't mean. Just push yourself out of that tendency to be perfecting all the time, to be parsing prematurely. That's
1: good yeah, language. You gotta not let the editor and the cynic and the critic show up on your shoulder because you just need to you need to speak. You need to open open it up and bleed. And um, let it go from there.
0: Yeah. So, what's the book project you're working on right now? Is it the Route 66 one? Mm-hmm. Great.
1: Yeah. Why did the tortoise cross the road?
0: And where can we find you online, Jules?
1: Uh, my book's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Kindle. And I'm working on an audible version of Shake and Not Stirred, a chemo cocktail as well.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you. That was fun.
0: <laughs> it was fun. Thanks for joining Jules and I today. Jules' book, Shaken Not Stirred, is available through Amazon. It makes a wonderful gift for a friend diagnosed with breast cancer and a soothing companion for you if you're the one facing the chemo regimen. I appreciate you tuning in. I love being able to read your reviews of the podcast, so I'd like to read a couple more today. I appreciate this one from Maggie Maroney. So much more than writing. Julie goes farther than just giving advice for growing good writers. She will influence your whole homeschool mindset and parental decisions. Brave writer really is a lifestyle, warm and cozy. And then another one is from EMX4. Julie is just what I needed. I was in the middle of homeschool year six when I found the podcast and it has truly changed the way I homeschool. And if I may be a little dramatic, life. I love the treasure that this program has become. Thank you, Julie. Well, you know what? Thank you. It is when we all come together and share our collective wisdom, that we grow, feel reassured, and know that the work we're doing isn't in vain. So thank you for helping me know that the work my team and I put into this podcast is actually resonating and bringing value to your lives. I do appreciate that. So we've got one more episode in season three and I'm telling you, you do not want to miss it. It is a fantastic conversation and I'm going to leave you in suspense to see who that guest is. But I know you're gonna love it. I can't wait. Okay, (laughs) I'm at the end of this thing. Let's say goodbye. Ready, you wanna sign off with me? Here's how we do it. Live honestly, write bravely. I'm Julie Bogart from Brave Writer.